Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. A crazy scenario. Those were the words of Lens manager Franck Hez following his side's four-all draw with Rams, but it may well have been used to sum up this weekend as a whole, uh, in which Ligue 1 was the highest scoring of Europe's big five leagues. 37 goals were scored across matches, which included Angers thrashing Nîmes 5-1, PSG extending their lead at the top of the table by beating Rennes 3-0, and Ligue 1's only unbeaten side, Lille, losing 3-2 to an inspired Stade Brestois. It's a shame nobody gave Marseille and Strasbourg the memo, though. Tonight, we'll be discussing Strasbourg OM, uh, Sunday's Derby double bill, and that 4-4, as well as taking a look at Le Bleu's upcoming matches against Finland and Portugal, uh, the latter in the Nations League. I'm Jake Smales, and joining me today uh, is the returning Mohamed Ali. Mo, how are you doing? Great to have you on. Yeah, good to be on. Thanks thanks for having me on again. Pleasure. Um, and I'm also joined once again by Eric Devin. Eric, how's it going? Well, Jake, thank you for having me on again as well. It's, it's uh, definitely a very exciting weekend of football. I'm glad to chop it up about what's been going on in France. It is indeed. Looking forward to getting stuck in. And finally, our resident groundhopper extraordinaire is here, Philippe Bagiel. How are you doing, Phil? Hey Jake, hey everyone. It's been a nice weekend. It's been uh, quite uh, quite entertaining. Really good. And then there was the football too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, I've just seen, Phil, that you um, tweeted about um, watching, that you were just watching Oxford United versus Northampton. Um, so apologies to interrupt your, your evening of uh, football watching. Sorry to deprive you of that, of the quality and calibre of that match. Actually, on French, it's actually on French. Well, it is cable. It is being sport, but it's actually it's actually only only game they they're screening on uh, in France. And I'm absolutely amazed at how you know you have all these uh, FA Cup first round games, which are never ever on French television. And this weekend, uh, you had like loads of, loads of them. I think you had something ridiculous, like nine of them. So it's uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's a first. I think it's a first, and it's one one before you ask. Great stuff. In Oxford. <laughs> Great stuff. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the listeners will be will be thrilled to hear to have that uh, that score update. Um, well, let's start with what I hope most people should hopefully have been spending their time looking at over the weekend, uh, as well as everything else going on in the world outside of football, which is Ligue 1. Um And one of the games of the season, I think everyone here will agree, um, happened, which was. Uh, which happened as newly promoted Lons hosted struggling Rams, uh, the 4-4. So the most pr- prolific match of the Ligue 1 season so far. This was a game that had everything. It had last gasp drama. It had comebacks. It had, quite frankly, comical goalkeeping at times and own goals. Uh, going into the match, uh, Lons were newly promoted, obviously, and have been one of the surprises of the season so far, getting some unlikely wins. Uh, but recently, more recently, they were thumped 4-0 in the derby against Lille. They were without Jonathan Grady and Clément Michelin, who were both sent off in that match. And also without uh, Ignatius Ganago, their striker who started the season so well and who's injured. And had also had to sit uh, the last two weeks out due to COVID cases at the club. So you could be forgiven for thinking they might not be quite on the ball and that their early momentum had been gone. Um, meanwhile, 
with Rams, you have back-to-back wins over Montpellier and Strasbourg. So they seemingly uh, they seem to be finding their feet after a difficult start to the season. But I don't think anybody could have predicted this game. There was only one goal in the first half, courtesy of Simon Banza giving Lons the lead. But in the second half, this was a game that came to life. Mathieu Cafaro equalised for Rams before Boulaidia gave the visitors the lead on the 54th minute. Uh, some terrible goalkeeping and defending on show for the home side. Uh, there was then a shocking own goal from the usually reliable Thomas Fockett for Rams. Um, for Rams, sorry, meaning uh, it was two all, 77 minutes in. Rams then thought they'd won it when they made it 4-2 with less than 10 minutes to go, scoring twice in two minutes. Uh, before two almost identical goals in injury time from Florian Sotoka gave Lons the point. Uh, the latter was virtually the last touch of the game. Um, Eric, we'll start with you. Would you say this was the game of the Ligue 1 season so far, looking at looking at this one? Um, I, you know, th- there's certainly an argument to be made for that. Uh I think in terms of sheer drama and excitement, I might uh, actually opt for uh, PSG beating Mess. Um, I, uh, what was that, match day three? Or it was rescheduled, maybe, uh, from earlier in the season? Um, that, that match was, uh, you know, really nail-biting stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think, uh, obviously, the scoreline is, is fun to see, but... I, you know, uh, I don't know. I feel like both of these teams should be a little bit better placed than they are. I know Lens do have two matches in hand, and actually where they win, win those both, they could go as high as second. Um, they've made a good start to the season, and they seem to be shaking off the, the losses of, of, um, loss of Ganago. And, you know, Sotoko is good to see him get a brace. Uh, Bonds is scoring as well, and they still got Seiko Fofana around the end of form as well, their record signing. Um, so I think for Lens to get a result, uh, missing the players that you mentioned against a, a Rath side that can be a very tough nut to crack defensively is, is something that uh, they can be encouraged about uh, and that they can continue to grow from. They were missing, uh, I don't know if you mentioned, Yannick Kalsak was missing as well. Um, so yeah, quite a few absences really for the hosts. Uh, so to see, them, um, to see them keep fighting to the end and, and get the result, uh, get the draw at least, was was really impressive and um i think that's that augurs well for the rest of their season um yeah they're you know currently on 14 points from eight matches i i think for a promoted side you really can't ask uh for much more than that uh i think that they're playing exciting attractive football and there may be some lapses in the back especially if they don't have their first choice um set of players there both both defensively and in and in midfield but uh yeah all in all um, you know, who doesn't like lots of goals, even if, it, even if they do come at the expense of quality? Exactly. And the, the you know, I, I think it is worth highlighting kind of the admirable nature of that performance that they were able to come back despite effectively being two goals down right at the death. You know, that never say die attitude despite missing important players. And you mentioned Karuzak there as well, of course, who, you know, that experienced head in midfield who, who, was, who was absent. Um, Phil, um, I wonder. I want to ask you about Florian Sotoka. I don't know if he's a player you've seen a lot of before, but this is a guy who 
who has no real experience in Ligue 1. He um, was briefly at Montpellier, I believe, but I think he only played once. And, um, you know, he was he was a good player in Ligue 2, especially for Grenoble. I remember seeing him um, seeing him play a couple of times. Um, do you think he's the kind of player who can, you know, he's come up with two goals here, who can come in and, and do a job uh, in the absence of someone like Ganago? You know, I know he's obviously not the same kind of player, but, but do you think he could be a, a key player for Lens this season? He's very much your typical league two journeyman journeyman guy who uh, gets stuck in and and who uh, doesn't shirk off from uh, from a challenge. I mean, he didn't get in at Montpellier. Uh, uh, it was towards the time, uh, maybe a bit after after a title, maybe two years later. Said so, said so he, he wasn't it uh, wasn't good enough, and then he went all the way down to Grenoble, Grenoble, who uh, who had uh, a very very hard time. Um, uh, with their finances, so they had to uh, to rebuild from uh, from scratch, and they did. I mean, they did. Now it's in League Two, and kudos to, to them. And Zotota stayed with them all the way through. So you could say that he went down, he went down to lose and back up again. And he's uh, he's very much, uh, I mean, League Two quality. That's uh, you know, that, of course, of course he is. Uh, he he, I wouldn't say he tore defenses apart because it's in league. It's a pretty hard thing, pretty hard thing to do. But yeah, extremely in, extremely enthusiastic, and he's, and he's been around, not scared of getting of getting stuck in. And I reckon he's, um, I mean, he he's one of the rare lost players, uh, quality lost players that uh, they have that they have up front, and they they really need him to to be to be running around and 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 do. Um, and try and uh, try and uh, uh, unfocus the, the opposition, if uh, if if I may if I may say. So yeah, I mean, I think I think they I think they they need him. Lost need him. They they don't have. Uh, I don't I don't think they have uh, an extremely quality squad. I, I think they they could, they could be uh, looking more down than down than up, uh, conceding quite quite a bit of goals. And Zotuka has, yeah, he 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 definitely has his uh, his role to play there, especially if he if he wants to stay in Ligue 1. I mean, that, it is it is it is a very important season for him. You mentioned the the uh, kind of ups and downs there, and obviously conceding four goals is never good for any team. But um, but Lons are now on on four wins, two draws, two defeats. As Eric mentioned, I think they've got a couple of games in hand after the the kind of an enforced break due to COVID. Mo, where do you see this lawn side ending up? Because they do, you know, they they've they again they've carried that momentum on into this game. It looks like, despite missing players, and um, they will be without, of course, their kind of extremely passionate vocal support um, due to the matches being played behind closed doors for the foreseeable future. Is this a side who can who can kind of achieve bigger things this season than just than just survival? The early signs kind of point to that, I think, don't they? Mm, yeah, no, they do. Um, obviously, those two games are against um, Marseille and Nantes as well. So, um, obviously, that's, that's still going to be sort of tricky, particularly if those games are scheduled this side of the winter break. But I suppose that they were looking at maybe early January for those uh, for those games, as is customary for, for cancelled fixtures. Um, but so far, I mean, you know, this game is another indication that they've, they just won't go quietly. I mean, a lot of us, particularly in this podcast, when we spoke about them last month, thought that they would eventually sort of settle back into a, into um, sort of 
trying to you know nick points here and there and and struggle in the bottom half of the table but you know like you said the record speaks for itself and you know that result um scoring twice in injury time shows just that they're very very fearless so they're ready to sort of grab uh, what they can they you know the the players have great understanding with each other they're they're combative in the final third they're they're scoring as well i think the the obviously the Lille game and and the Nice defeat were well, we can say aberrations at the moment. They're really playing as a unit. So they've got, you know, assuming those games don't come in, they've got a, a favourable um, next couple of games. Um, you know, particularly Dijon and, and Angers in particular. But they, they I think, I think they're, they're, they're at the moment, I'd like to say, dead certs to be at least in the top half come Christmas. Yeah, and I think that's, all, you know, it's always exciting when you get a team that's promoted and, and go all guns blazing and are able to do more than just those teams that kind of come up and really do sit back and invite pressure from the other teams and just seek to break, um, you know, this long side, as you said, I think are not going to go, going to go quietly as they showed at the end of that last game. And it will be intriguing to see if the fixture congestion does get the better of them. And, um, you know, if they do settle into kind of a lesser rhythm, if you like, once they get, once they get settled in this league, but we'll have to, to wait and see let's let's move on to to rams then um and i think we should start with the man of the hour i know he's talked about a lot lately on this podcast um and on the preview show but Bouladia scored twice and he's now top scorer uh in league one with eight goals um you know this is a guy who was preparing for a career as an electrician um and who didn't go to a trial at saint-etienne because his car broke down um, he's now 23 years old and he's found his way to the top, obviously via, via Rams predominantly. Um, his second goal in particular this weekend was great. I thought it was a long, uh, it was a goal kick from Rykovic, sorry, long ball forward and the Lons defense kick it straight back into Buladia, who with some strength and deft footing, um, is able to carry it th- right through the defense and round Leka and score. Um, I think that was the goal to make it four two um eric we'll go back to you i know he was linked with a couple of moves in the summer but where do you see all idea ending up because surely in on his current form he's not going to stay at rams for longer than the end of the the season yeah i i, I worry about bull idea um because i i wonder i wonder if he's not the sort of player who uh might make a move abroad say the premier league and sort of disappear off the face of the earth uh, despite having been a, a quality or or above average player in Liga, I think you know we can you know name any any number of these players who who have who have done that. Uh, even speaking in relative terms, I mean, uh, you know, w- whether or not um, that that's a destination for him. I, I think if he's if he's canny and hitting where he goes, you know, we've seen a lot of players leave France for the Bundesliga in recent years and have modicum success and, and move on from there even. So I think that if he is careful about what sort of club he's going to, a club that will give him playing time, uh, I think that, you know, a mid-table German side or maybe a, side, maybe a team in the championship with um, with ambitions, um, then he could make a real difference. I know we've seen, for example, in recent years, uh, you know, the likes of um, uh, Meche, the, the, the lad that's at Reading right now, uh, um uh, Brian Wemo, um, Saeed Ben Rama, um, Neil Mopai, uh, 
going to the championship and and you know seeing their star rise as a result of being in a side that's well managed tactically and has uh, you know and has opportunities for them to play. So uh, you know, Alan Saint Maximin is another one who I think has done relatively well as well. Uh, so I think that if if he's canny in choosing the right situation, then. Uh, he certainly can have aspirations of reaching a, a considerably higher level, level, but he's just got to be careful because I think we've seen, you know, far too many players uh, make the move across the channel or uh, into Germany or or Spain and and sort of be, uh, you know, sort of have things not come off uh, as as they thought they would have. I mean, you know, I, for, you know, for example, uh, Sebastian Corsia is is back in league and I think that he was a player who was uh, much more highly thought of when he left France, but has really seen his his star sort of fizzle as a result of a lack of opportunity. Ronnie Lopes is another one uh, who's back uh, with Nice. Uh, you know, didn't really cut it uh, in in Sevilla after having sort of gone through the ranks in France. So, uh, you know, knowing one's level and knowing what will continue to give one opportunities is an important part in choosing a transfer destination. And hopefully, Blue Idea can um, you know stay around for the rest of the season and allow Rennes to be as exciting as they were this weekend. And but also. Um, you know, not sort of fall off the face of the earth <clears throat> were he to leave. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, I think you correctly pointed out there, you know, we do, you do get players who kind of make these moves abroad, which actually, you know, on paper, if you like, do seem to make a lot of sense. You know, there's a lot of, there's so many league on exports into the Premier League in, uh, in particular, and you do get some players when they, they, you just get a sense that the move isn't right and things don't work out, you know, even just off the top of my head, thinking of, of Tovan when he moved to, to Newcastle, obviously, you know, he wasn't quite ready for that move seemingly and, and you know, unfortunately found his feet and then some again when he came back to to Marseille but you know we all hope that I think that he makes the right move because he's 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 a joy in Ligue 1 um uh, there's actually an excellent interview with him from our very own Jeremy Smith on the Get Football News France website that I think I would definitely recommend people checking out um and in that interview he talks about his objectives of reaching 10 or 15 goals which I think it's fair to say he's on his way to doing but he talks about Ram's objective which he says is to do as well as we did last season uh, which is uh, which was to finish sixth on forty one points. Um, Phil, do you think this is um, this this objective is too far gone now? No, with uh, you know only two wins and a uh, two wins so far this season. Well, let's do a, a quick reality check, shall we? Uh, Arras did finish sixth, that's or fifth, I'm not sure. Well, around those uh, around those uh, this this area. Uh, they went into the Europa League as they were not good in the Europa League. And a couple of weeks back, maybe a month ago, uh, people were calling for their head because Rennes was second bottom just above Dijon. I mean, um, just no. I think this is, this is all about Rennes not, as this is all about the season of Rennes not going down. Uh, they have the quality, they have, they have a, a good goalkeeper, they have the solid defence. Uh, which is uh, led by uh, Younis Abdelhamid, uh, who almost, uh, 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 by the by, conceded a penalty uh, right at the end, but uh, which was given, but then it was uh, it was rescinded because of VAR, and it was a it was a very close call. Uh, just just know this is uh, uh, sheer, I mean, uh, grand uh, grand optimism uh, if uh, if they if they want to 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 get back up there because. I mean, do, do they even want to get back up there after after what they had in the in in the um, in the preseason? Because they did have a very hefty preseason with all these European qualifiers. 
I mean, just uh, it just just goes to show you. I mean, you need to be prepared to play twice twice a week, and and Reims have shown that they're they're not. So I think they'll take a bottom half finish from eleventh to fifteenth. Uh, I mean, with uh, with both hands. Maybe not Boulaidia, but I think the club will. Yeah, I think he's, you know, they're kind of lofty ambitions given the start and maybe that would be better off. They would be better off kind of a slower progression kind of towards playing at that level rather than kind of being thrown in at the deep end in their in their just their third season in the in the top flight um, like they were this season. Um we actually have a question from a, a, a listener of the podcast this week. You can, if you ever want to ask us a question, you can um, contact us at the GFFN show on Twitter. And that question is from our very own Pierre Paul Birmingham, um, former host of the show, obviously, who has asked us for our thoughts on Cafaro. Um, he thought that injuries and a bit of attitude were going to be a ceiling for him, but he seems back in good form. Um, Mo, he got a goal at the weekend, and I remember watching him back in in that first season for Rams. He seemed so important when they got um, when they were back in Ligue 1 for the the first time. Do you think this is a guy who's back in form and and you know can be an important player in the league? <laughs> um, I get the feeling that he's um, very much a favourite of Pierre Paul. So um, I don't know how objective this question might be, but. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he was very, very good last season. Um, you know, very good going forward. The link up play was superb, but I think he's one of the players that you'd have to look at um, in terms of effectiveness this season for for Holmes, who's whose attacking output has been, you know, fairly shaky. Um, obviously, defensive has been a massive, massive downfall compared to last year. Um, but he's a you know, he's a guy with a massive potential. He's he you know, looks great on the ball. Um, has has very good, um, very good football in him. Very good potential. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's for me the, the base is that the, the team as a whole and Cavalry included have been underperforming for quite a while this season. Um, I, I I don't think that that's been helpful in him in terms of um, showcasing his ability. I mean, he didn't really play much. Um, in 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 the Europa League, so obviously that's a chance missed. Um, in Europe to put him in the shot window, but he's definitely one of Rams' bankable players at the moment. So we'll see. I mean, there's still a lot of football to be played. They've got plenty of time to come out of that, and obviously alongside Boulardia, who's been absolutely shining forward, um, he, they're going to look to him to be sort of the creative outlook as well. So fingers crossed. We'll see. But you know, as I think Pierre Paul has a. A higher opinion of him currently than I do, I'd say. Well, there you go, Pierre Paul. If you're listening, I hope you're not too uh, taken aback by by Mo's words there. I think I think I personally would echo Mo's Mo's analysis of him there. Um, let's uh, let's move on to Friday night's game then, where we uh, did not see quite the same free scoring antics that dominated the rest of the weekend. Quite the opposite, in fact, as Strasbourg hosted Marseille at the Minor. Um, after losing 12 consecutive Champions League matches, tying with Anderlecht um, as the worst, um, I think the worst ever streak in the Champions League. Um, sorry, Mo. Um, OM travelled to Alsace looking to continue what, by contrast, was quite a good run of form domestically, uh, managing to do exactly that in the end by securing a 1-0 win thanks to a brilliant strike by Morgan Sanson. 
Uh, OM, however, had just one shot in the entire match with Strasbourg looking the dominant side for much of the game, hitting the bar and being denied a late penalty. Um, uh, let's start with Les Olympiens. I have a, a stat, actually, which is that, according to L'Equipe, um, Marseille are the first win- team to win a Ligue 1 match with a single shot since Opta began analysing the league in 2006-2007. Um, and that was also the first time they've gone a half, a first half even without getting a shot away since 2016. Um, pretty, pretty shocking stuff. Mo, what did you make of that performance? Was was that 2016 stat uh, the, the Rudy Garcia's first game in Paris? Uh, because that was also quite memorable um, for a lot of uh, different reasons. Um, <laughs> it wasn't big. itself. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, I mean, the win is the win, first and foremost. Um, and I know, you know, that you have a lot of people um, who would comment on that sort of game thinking, you know, what the game itself is secondary to the result. Um, and if you come away with a victory, that's all that matters in the end. But I thought that was alarming, to be honest. Um, alarming in a sense that obviously, you know, there have been well-documented reports, you know, and um, a lot of uh, commentary following that. Champions League defeat to Porto last week and um, that in itself was a very poor performance, very few attempts on goal, in fact um, you know, in Laurie on the week before, um, you know, very few attempts on goal and against Manchester City as well very few attempts on goal, so attack has been very clearly an issue for OM over the last couple of weeks um, and, you know, there have been you know, recommendations, there have been, you know, Dimitri Bay and Derry Bendetto have, have been you know Dropped to the bench, brought on to start, dropped to the bench. Um, and there have been questions on Florian Torvan's effectiveness as well. Um, and, you know, quite after that defeat, which really, uh, as you saw on RMC, you know, Eric Dimeco in particular, who uh, the commentator for that evening, and obviously a former Marseille um, a player, um, was very vocal in, in sort of the team and direction. So you think that, you know, everything was geared up towards, uh, you know, one of those um, so-called team meetings, quote-unquote, where everyone just has it out and unfortunately, you know, they, they go on to to right some wrongs and everyone's on the same wavelength and, and so on. So to come off after all of that and, you know, follow reports, the AVB had a team meeting for 30 minutes and to only have one attempt on goal, just the one, not even any block shots, no wide shots, no, you know... No danger in the final third. One attempt to trouble Binguru Kamara over the 90 minutes was, for a team of Marseille's level, absolutely shocking. The goal itself was superb. Um, a great bit of technical ability from both Dimitri Payet and, and, and Morgan Sanson, but that it only took one effort. I mean, yes, it was efficient, but had OM lost that game, or had it been a, a, a nil-nil draw, um, the clamour would have been even louder. Um the international break is obviously here, so that's a good time to take stock. Um, but following that, you've got a very, very difficult run. You've got see, both Champions League home games this time. Porto Olympiacos, you've got Nice, you've got Nantes, who famously won the Velodrome last season. Um, you know, going into early December, where you know home have a fairly difficult run. This is very, very poor um, overall, and I don't think they've got the answer so far. Does no. anybody else think uh, Marseille are going to have a fine second half of the season? 
just that the Champions League is uh, is buggering the the league form, and that uh, this this squad, uh, if nothing uh, much moves in January or whenever that's supposed to be these days, um, that uh, if they only have the league to focus on, then they'll be they'll do okay. I mean, they're still yeah. they're still a nice position given. You know the footballs that they've played in Europe. They're still, I mean, they're still fourth in Liga, which is not bad. Hmm. Um, the results. I mean, yeah, obviously on paper you look at the obviously the the the, the, the table, and you know you've got two points per game on average, which is exactly the level that AVB had over the course of last season, which was after twenty six, twenty seven games. Um, but. With that, with the absence of Champions League football, what does the team have to play with? I mean, I think the quality of league has been very questionable at best. I think there have been points that have been made, especially in the top half of the table, where the football hasn't been particularly exciting. And Marseille, have, you know, AVB and his team had learnt to win ugly last year, and you saw that, you know, very clearly over the last couple of weeks against Lorient and Strasbourg. But you know, against teams where, you know, you're expected to dominate, you're expected to be on the front foot, and you know, be right at the forefront of creativity. You saw that recently in September in the home games um, you know, against Sanetti and Lille and Metz. The team have just looked very disjointed. And if the goal is to qualify for the Champions League, what happens when you get there? You know, We're currently in that situation now. What have they done in the Champions League? They're holding on to a very poor, unwanted Champions League record. You work you know, over the course of a 38-game season and then you, you don't do anything in the Champions League. So what's the point? What's, what's the end goal? Um, is the end goal just to collect money and um, you know take points off the weaker teams, accumulate just enough points, and then you know accumulate that 15, 20 million that you get from UEFA every year? Um, there needs to be more imagination. There needs to be a plan B and a plan C even for AVB. That's what the top teams do. That's what Leon have done. You know, OM looked to Leon for a lot of um, you know um, structure and organisation. How they've taken to Europe over the last few years. And as we saw in Lisbon, you know, Leon have perfected that very, very well, even if now is a time of difficulty for them. So you have to be imaginative. You have to take the moment. Because if OM played good football and lost six games, that's fine. You live and you learn. But sort of playing, you know, in what I like to call football in purgatory at the moment is not the answer. And the front three are all very poor at the moment. Valé Germain in particular, who started for the first time, I think, this season, had looked... Relatively interesting. He was obviously a big criticism uh, last year. Uh, Luis Enrique and Emmanuel Radonjic um, must be thinking, what can they do to get into the team? Because the run three are absolutely horrible. So there needs to be, you know, some bold choices. The international break gives them a chance to think about that. But coming back after that, I expect, you know, if obviously qualification for the last 16 is now beyond reach, a strong fight for that Europa League position, which is still attainable. I have two questions for you, Mo. One, uh, you, you do you think the Champions League is beyond reach? And two, uh, do you think that uh, the club made a mistake in letting Lopez and Sar go? Now, I know they're not essential parts to the team, but given their versatility, that Sar can be a winger or a right back, uh, given that Lopez could play as a 10 on the wing, a little bit deeper, um, or do you think that they were adequately replaced um, with the players that came in? Um, so, first of all, the Champions League, yeah, I think it's beyond reach because 
you know, losing three games in a row is it's you know it's difficult. Porto have looked fairly good in their two games, um, obviously discounting the Man City result. And you know, Atlanta did it, did it last year, but Oem have to be absolutely on the ball, and they'd have to beat Man City at Etihad as well to to have to even have a chance. Um, so I think it's beyond reach. But the Europa League, assuming that they win, or at the very least take four points um, from the two home games against Porto and Olympiacos, then you've got a chance to get into Europa, and then we'll see what happens there. But it's a big if. You know, they've already lost three games on the bounce, so I I highly doubt it. Um, secondly, I don't think. Um, it's a good question. I've been speaking to a couple of OM fans about this. Um, obviously, Lopez and Saar were two criticised players during the time. Less so Lopez, obviously, he's a homeboy. But um, the fact that he didn't offer much, he was obviously below the pecking order when you've got Sanson, Ronji and Kamara, who's been heavily favoured by AVB. But you've, you see these players, and Lopez is just another list, another, another one in a long list of players who've moved on from OM into a less restrictive environment and have excelled. You know, Maxime Lopez has had a fantastic start in Serie A. He's brought his passing qualities. He's had an eye for goal. He's scored an important goal. You know, it's a big it's a big plus. And Bruno Sarr's um, versatility has been highly appreciated by Bayern Munich. You know, the fact that the European champions have wanted him is testament to his ability. Um, Saar, I think, is I think, a big loss because he, he had more of an attacking focus than Hiroki Sakai has. And I think Sakai is now in a position where Jordan Amavi was um, post-2017, where there's no com- competition. So therefore, you're in the team week in, week out, regardless of performances. And that really impacted Jordan Amavi, um, who was at one point, two and a half, three years ago, on the cusp of the France squad. Um, and he's only just, you know, sort of returned to his his high level. Um and we're seeing that quite a bit. I don't know what it is about Marseille. I haven't really put my finger on yet, but the players, in essence, are, are good themselves. You know, they're highly rated on paper. They they are, when they were bought, you know, having high potential. There's very few players at Marseille who are, you know, not, not, not in of itself bad quality. Um, and you've seen players that were highly criticised, like um, Lucas Ocampos, another perfect example, going on to do fantastic things post-OM. But together, they're, they're just not clicking. I don't know why that is. Obviously, this season, without the fans, etc., there should be a little bit more freedom to just, you know, away from the criticism, away from the booze, etc., to really play yourself. And obviously, given a good finish last year, there's, there's, that doesn't seem to be the case, but it's all gone horribly wrong. I think, personally, the AVB honeymoon period is already over. Um, and, it, you know, if AVB has come out to say, and he has said this on occasion, there's no money and I'm doing the best I can. He, he, that's, this is a level that OM is at, unless obviously you spend more. You know, I, I'm working far beyond my capability just to get Champions League. And when we get to the Champions League, this is, you know, this is essentially a mid-table team. Fair enough. But, you know, that's not going to wash very, very well. So there needs to be a lot of hard decisions and hard choices to make at the moment the football isn't great even if the results in of itself are actually not that bad um but we'll see i think the front three in particular are very worrying as well yeah it's a worrying um it's a worrying situation for sure and i just hope that things start clicking soon for andre vs boas because 
you know, if you if you look at any of the interviews that he did post match, this was a guy who was who was not best pleased with some of the questions he was being posed, and you can see why he decided that competing in a Dakar rally would be better for his blood pressure than than football management. I think that was clear um, on display. Um, let's move on now to to Strasbourg. Then um, um, they were denied uh, a penalty late, late on. Um, after, you know, as I said, a pretty dominant display against OM. Uh, sh- should they have had a penalty? They, they, they should have had a penalty. I think, you know, Mitrovic in particular had, um, you know, he, he was very vocal post-game. Um, and I think OM got away with that there. Um, they didn't deserve, obviously deserve the luck, but that's sort of the lay of the land at the moment with the refereeing in particular in France. I mean, let's sort of surmise as much after the game. I think Strasbourg could feel very aggrieved even though, you know, themselves, I don't think they were that um, deserving of a point themselves. I mean, and in attack-wise, they were they were also as lethargic and poor um, and devoid of quality as OM were. But, you know, if, you know, depend, you know, just looking at that point in injury time, they, they should be all absolutely agreed to not have a penalty. Looking at the game from afar, I mean, it sounded like a nil-nil, I mean, it looked like a nil-nil game with, uh, with uh, some uh, glimpse of genius uh, in the minutes the goal was scored. I mean, I don't think any any either side would have had uh, anything to complain about. It was a score ended nil-nil. It's just that I the goal was good. Yeah. I was tracking, I mean, it was that poor. I was tracking the um, the expected goals um, into that second half. And just before Samson scored, it was right. 0. 0. 0.29 for Strasbourg and 0. 0.06 for Marseille. Which just that's... shows you how oh, how absolutely yeah. pathetic that was. So it really should have ended nil nil. I mean, you know, there would be few very few chances, but you know, luckily for Marseille, it didn't. No, exactly, absolutely. Mm. Well, there, you, there you go. Maybe they did get the memo in that match then that this was going to be a high scoring weekend, and you know, someone needed to someone needed to chip in. And thank goodness for Morgan Sanson. Um, let's um, let's move on now to the. Uh, the Derby de la Côte d'Azur as Nice hosted Monaco. Um, going into this one, Nice were unbeaten since losing to PSG at the end of September, but have been criticised for kind of looking pedestrian um, at times and lacking in attacking ideas as Vieira kind of struggles to get the best out of some of the attacking talents he has at his disposal. Um, and, you know, this is not nothing new for, for Nice. This is a criticism they face since he... Uh, took over, um, and they're also obviously without talismanic defender and key man Dante. Um, I would attempt the Portuguese pronunciation, um, Eric, that I wonderfully heard from you on the uh, on the preview show last week. But I believe that I would be mocked on Twitter for days if I did. So um, I'll leave that to you. Um, they were coming up against the youthful Monaco side, um, who were off the back of a four nil win over Bordeaux at home. Uh, and they managed to beat their rivals 2-1 with goals from Axel Dizassi and Sofiane Diop. Uh, and it was Pierre-Lise Melou who gave uh, Nice the consolation goal. Um, for Nice, again, it was a, a story of a large share of possession, but not too many ideas going forward. Eric, did you catch this one? And if so, what did you make of, of I did, I did, their yeah. performance? Um, yeah, Um I thought for Nice, I mean, uh, yeah, Donch, Donch is missed. Um, especially, I mean, Stanley and Soki, uh, oh, gosh. I mean, the you know, the poor guy has barely played it all this season. I, I was surprised he was brought in. Um, you know, I would have thought 
uh, if you're going to play Schneiderlin centrally in that back three, uh, you would have flanked him with, with players who are a little bit more in form. So I guess they brought in Andy Palmard. I would have thought they would have brought in Andy Palmard, I should say, but I guess given his having played in in Europe in midweek, that was not an option for them. Uh, so yeah, some some questionable decisions, maybe in terms of personnel from from Patrick Vieira, but uh, it wasn't all one way traffic. I thought they they you know if you take out the Insoki error and and you think about maybe the last thirty minutes of the match, I think Nice were definitely in the ascendancy. Monaco were, despite their brilliant start to the match. Uh, Monaco were definitely hanging on towards the end. Um, so I think Vera has the raw materials um, to allow the team to continue to play well, um, even in Doncic's absence. Um, but I, I, I think I really think that we're seeing just how important he was to that team. Uh, and we're also seeing, you know, uh, for me, a bit of confusion as to why they let Christoph Arel go. Um you know, RL is not necessarily a um, you know world beater, but he's certainly an above average league on defender. Um, and so, to see him um, not not play well, uh, or sorry, to see him not be captain to leave for Brest for a relative pittance, I, I think also um, makes me wonder that you know, given Ineos's philosophy of bringing in all these young, exciting players, you know, well, maybe exciting is not necessarily the word, right word for all of them, but. Uh, the fact that their players' potential, they want to be a Monaco light. I mean, Renan Lai, Dolberg, Otamba, Guiri, Taram, Budawi, Bambu. You know, it's not, aside from Snyderlin and Lise Malou, this is a very, very young team uh, that Patrick Vieira filled, filled yesterday. Um, and I think that he's, that Vieira has things right in terms of uh, what the tactical system should be. I think that this, the playing three at the back makes sense. Uh, and they continue to adapt and grow into that. But I think that uh, this team are having a hard time managing managing not only the loss of Dodge, but European football as well. And I think that I, I think they could finish as high as they did last season, fifth. Um, but I think that probably would require um, them being eliminated from uh, from the Europa League, uh, just to ha- to not have to continue to struggle with this uh, rhythm of. Uh, Thursday, Sunday, uh, as they have been to date. Yeah, and that's certainly something that we are seeing a lot of teams um, struggle with, especially given the kind of congested nature of the of the schedule at the moment. Um, Phil, do you kind of agree with um, Eric in terms of you know maybe maybe um, the absence of a figure like Christoph Arel is is kind of having a significant impact here? I guess actually my question really is has Patrick Vieira been let down in part by the recruitment under Ineos in terms of, you know, they brought in all of these bright attacking players, but as Eric pointed out, you know, they, okay, they brought in someone like Stanley and Soki, but actually they've lost or let someone go like Christophe Arel, who was so important for them. Is, is Vieira being let down by this, do you think in this model? No, I don't think so. You can't really uh, plan on, uh, on one of your work. Well, Basically, your your best defender um, uh, getting a, a, a season-ending injury and even maybe a career-ending injury. I'm not sure when that will be official. Uh, I hope. Uh, I think we all hope that Dotti uh, plays next season. Um, you know, as long as he's uh, as he's healthy, and you you can't just predict those things. And I'm pretty sure Vieira and the board, the recruitment staff, are going to. Uh, 
to do whatever they can to uh, to recruit a, uh, a defender to to stand in for for Dante, but it's going to be yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult because you've got all this all this experience and know how uh, Irel has uh, has uh, that, I mean is not is not Dante. It could have helped, yes, but uh, you know those those type of things uh, just just happen, and uh, that's uh, I, I would say it's a good learning experience for for Patrick Vieira because. All he has to do now is wait, uh, wait a couple of months, uh, in order to uh, to, to to then uh, call up uh, another defender on loan or or something like that. I mean, there's enough there's enough quality all all around the pitch. Yesterday's game was against a very good side. It's still, still the defense doesn't look very good. And uh, what from what I've uh, from what I've seen, it's going to be it's going to be a problem. But until until December, I think uh, they'll they'll manage to um, fill in the gaps, shall we say. With uh, Schneider, I mean, Viard, uh, uh, centre back in a, in a back three, in a three five two yesterday. I think it's going to be that type of deal until the, the transfer window. And I'd be very surprised if they don't make a if they don't make a uh, defensive fight, signing though. That would be a bit, uh, you know, disappointing. Then you could say that Viard has been let down by the by the recruitment staff. Yeah, and certainly at that point, I mean, but I do think, you know, it, it's a little bit short-sighted not to bring in, you know, a direct replacement, um, perhaps of a similar caliber to, to Christoph Errol. I know it was difficult in the summer market, but, you know, you Dante's, what, 37 now, or, or certainly kind of in his mid to late 30s, and is not, although he's the leader, you know, he's not someone you can perhaps rely on to, to stay fit all season purely based on you know that what happens if he does pick up an injury you know he's such an important part of the team so so yeah so we'll see what happens in january but certainly that you you've got to think that that is you know the number one thing that they need to be doing in the january transfer window um let's move on to monaco now obviously winners in the derby um we won't touch too much on them having spoken about them uh recently on the pod um but we did have a question on twitter about them which kind of feeds into something that we've said uh, that we've been discussing before. Um, so I want to put this one to you, Mo. Um, Armin Khan on Twitter asks, is this uh, a side you expect to be back uh, in the Europa League next season? You know, is Niko Kovac capable of taking them there? Obviously, it, it, it seems that way based on kind of the what he's getting out of this side, you know, the, the brilliance of the the kind of fluidity of that attacking unit in uh, Voland and Ben Yedda. Um, Gelson Martins has looked better more recently. You know, Aguilar has been has been great this season. He's he's got a France call up, I believe. Um, yeah, is is you know, but they do have their problems as well. You know, so the the goal, for example, in this match was kind of a bit of a howler defensively. Mm. I think Manone failed yeah. to yeah failed to get the yeah, ball no. in goal. So 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 what Absolutely. do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, first of all, a bit of a surprise that Manone has turned up in Monaco. Um, obviously, we know him pretty well in England, so uh, I don't know how that happened. Um, in particular, obviously, uh, Le Comte is out still um, for a little longer. But um, yeah, it's it's difficult because every time Monaco seems to have turned a corner, they go straight back down. Um, and I think we've seen that a couple of times this season, um, having a, a really, really good start, really positive start, and then sort of a couple of silly defeats so you culminating in that four-goal deficit at half-time and, uh, in, in Lyon. Um, but you do get the feeling that particularly Kevin Volland and, and Ben Yedda really started to click together and in that two-man attack. Um, you know, looked really, really good, in particular last week against Bordeaux and then and then here as well. Um, they weren't obviously amongst the goals, but I don't think they had too bad a performance. Um, so it's good. I mean, 
they've got six points in 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 the past week. They they've cracked back into the top six in the European European places. But I don't think Nico Kovac has got quite a hand on this team. You know, I think you know as as regular league and watchers that don't really focus too much on Monaco will know. There's been a lot of turnover in that squad. You know, season on season, so it's very hard to build that long term understanding. Um, you know, the defense still is is, is, a, is a massive problem. Um, in particular for me, you know, they've they've conceded I think fourteen, fifteen goals at the moment. Um, even though they do find the net, they do score, I don't think that um they are confident yet at the back. A lot of silly goals as we saw with Lisa Malou um getting that um consolation goal for Nice. And coming up, I mean you're playing PSG and Lille, um who and, and indeed Marseille as well, straight after in early December, um, in three of the next four games. Obviously, Marseille discounted, but Lille and PSG are clicking very well in in in, in attack. There, they're also um, in PSG's case very proficient um, in front of goal. So, I think you know that defense is still not not at the level it should be for 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 them to regularly sort of and consistently challenge for for the European places. Not just yet. Um, you know, I think further up the field, they they started to grow um, week on week. It'll be interesting to see how Niko Kovac develops that team. Obviously, they'll have a couple of players back, a couple of players to reintegrate as well. But there's still far too much turnover in that team um, for me to consistently say, yes, they're going to be um, a challenger. We'll see how it goes. For now, the most important thing is that despite you know these irregular performances, you just need to stay in touch. I think that's what the first half of the season is. So far on that point, they, they, they do meet it. We'll see in the next three weeks. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd like to... Uh, respectfully disagree, Mo. I think that mm. I watch Monaco every week. Um, I, you know, I work for the club, so I, I do feel like I'm not just saying this because of that. Um, <laughs> I, no, I think that there are a lot of bright spots. We mentioned Aguilar getting uh, a France call up, but he's been one of the best right backs in Ligue 1 for three years now, uh, dating from his time with Montpellier. I think that Desassi was, you know. Okay, I know we all talk about Yunus Abdelhamid and his experience, but uh, Ramp's defense this season has collapsed particularly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And Badi Ashile is, you know, I, I still think capable of a Rick, but I think that he is definitely growing as a player. He's still only 19. I think that there's a lot to be said for him. And Caio Enrique, uh, a player who I knew nothing about, was uh, had been on the books of Atletico, but in loan in Brazil for the last two seasons really looks a find at left back. I think that that's a position that they've struggled with. They were uh, earlier in the season, Kovac had played Sidibe on the left flank. I know he played there at Lille. It's not his natural position. Uh, he experimented with Fode Balotore, who you know has been, I think, let's say, hit or miss since his arrival from Lille. Um, and you know they've also had in the past uh, uh, Julian Serrano, uh, uh, Jorge. Like there's been a lot of options at left back, but. I think given the experience that Cal Henrique accumulated in Brazil and given how brightly he started for Monaco, I think that this team really could be turning a corner. Um, I, I think that the you mentioned there again, Mo, the partnership between Volland and Ben Yedder. Well, the attacking prowess that we saw from Monaco last season under uh, Robert Moreno was as a result of Ben Yedder playing in close concert with um, Islam Samani. And how this team was initially set up in a 4-3-3 to start the season with Voland uh, um, and one of Javatich and Martins on the wings uh, didn't get the best out of him. And we know what a fantastic talent he can be. And I think that there's really a lot to be said for 
you know, again, LeCompte is a huge miss. I mean, your job about Benone is well taken. Uh, LeCompte is a, is, a, is a reliable and solid goalkeeper, and that's something that I think, you know, any team in the world would need to succeed. But I do think that, you know, the corner has been turned here, and if they can get, okay, maybe not a result against PSG, but maybe they could if, if we think about, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Neymar maybe likely maybe coming back, Mbappe struggling with injury, uh, Di Maria having gone to South America, um, Verratti is not expected to be back, uh, Thilo Kerr is now out for a couple months, Marquinhos is going to be with the Brazilian team, um, you know, get a surprise result there, kind of like that 3-3 they had back in January under, under Marino. And I think that could be a real confidence booster for Monaco to really start turning a corner and, and climbing the table. Because the other thing we have to realize, it is close. I mean, Monaco and, and Lyon I, and Marseille uh, are teams that benefited from stumbles by the likes of Lille and Rennes and this, this weekend and Nice. Um, and now we've got, what, three points separating the top, the second through ninth, and Angers being that ninth place team? Um, it's, it, I, I, how long that'll hold is another story, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think that Monaco have, uh, have the resources and we talked about experience with Nice, right? Monaco do have that in a player like Kevin Volant, in a player like Wissam Van Yedder, even in a player like Stevan Jovetic. They, the team is to me seems much, Ruben Aguilar has been, been around for a while now too, but this team is much more well-constructed to me in terms of a squad. I know Monaco have had, you know, all these, you know, a bloated squad for a while, but I think under Paul Mitchell, they've done a good job of trimming it down and focusing on a set of players who have potential, um, but also, you know, relying on experienced players where it's necessary and not selling themselves short in certain areas of the certain areas, uh, like I believe Nice have done. So to answer Jake's question, you reckon they'll be in the Europa League next season? I don't. I don't. I mean, I wouldn't rule out a top three push at this place. I think. I think they have the attacking talent to do it, and I think that's what can separate them. We talked about um, Marseille's attacking struggles. I, I think Leon have problems scoring. I think you know Lille have started to turn a corner in that regard as well. But if they progress in the Europa League, what's their focus going to be? Uh, I think Ren. I think we're starting to see the, perhaps the limits of of them, um, at least until Mbanyang comes back and hits form. I just don't think that Sergio Grassi is is of a, of the quality needed to score fifteen or twenty goals that a team uh, will need. Uh, you know, if, if we look at Nyang's numbers from last season, he probably would have reached that that mark. I think he had eleven last season, in a in a curtailed season. But I I, I do think that Monaco have. Uh, have the capability and that that especially that in that midfield partnership too i should mention um Chouameni and fofana um really look like they're starting to uh coalesce in a, in a great way in, in midfield you know, fofana again fantastic delivery for that goal by Desazi. but I, I think that there's a really a lot to like about this monaco team and and yeah there have been some stumbles but you know say they don't they don't lose that match in in uh, in Ren, when Ren came back and scored two in the last ten minutes, then then they're in second place if they had, if they had won that match, you know it, it's close. Um, so uh, yeah, let's let's continue to be optimistic about Monaco, um, and uh, you know I think a, a competitive race between well-established teams uh, for that top six is what's going to make this season more compelling because 
you know, we shouldn't be any under illusions about uh, the title, given, you know, how the form PSG are in. Uh, 22 goals scored, one conceded in their last six matches uh, in the league. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I'm not expecting this Monaco to be on par with the 2016-17 version, but there is a lot to like about this team for me. To be honest, I don't think the top eight is going to change that much until the end of the season. I think we have... Uh... Uh, well, we're not going to discuss Angers or Metz, uh, you know, but uh, I think the Q and top eight are going to be very close to what we're going to see uh, at the end of May. Yeah, I agree. I I agree, Phil, and I, I certainly certainly agree with you, Eric. And I'm not. I wouldn't say that. You know, I have Monaco on for. I, I mean, I know that's not what you're saying, but I wouldn't have Monaco nailed on for you know a top three finish or anything. But I certainly expect to see them in the Europa League positions. I just think compared to teams around them, you know, their their shortcomings, predominantly defensively. Um, you know, I think are outweighed by kind of how well uh, Kovac or what Kovac is getting out of other areas of the team, I should say, particularly that kind of fruitful attack. Um, I think we'll have a better idea um, as um, uh, I think it was you, Mo, pointed out um, after um, this difficult run that they've got coming up where they'll, where you know, a better idea where they'll be. But, But certainly I would expect them to be kind of more or less um, in the Europa League positions come the end of the season. Uh, let's move on to the final Liga match uh, of the weekend that we'll be looking at. And it was the final match of the weekend. The uh, Derby du Ron uh, between uh, Lyon and Saint-Étienne, one of Europe's most fiercely intense rivalries. I don't know about the rest of the panel, but I still have images of Nabil Fakir holding up his shirt in front of the Saint-Étienne faithful at the Joffre Guichard, more or less ingrained in my in my brain, inciting a riot as a, as Lyon won five one a few years back, um, and it was also the first fixture that current uh, Saint-Étienne boss Claude Puel won as manager, I believe, list about this time last year. Um, ahead of Sunday, Sante had lost five games in a row after a bright start to the season with their young side. Um, and for Lyon, it was kind of the opposite story in terms of form. They'd kind of come into a decent spell, drawing against Lille and having won a couple of games prior to that. And at the start of the game, it was a bright start from Saint-Étienne and a, a really spirited performance from Le Vert. But ultimately, it was OL who ran out winners uh, 2-1 the score uh, with two goals courtesy of Zimbabwe international Tino Kadawere um, before right at the death Denny Buanga missed a last gasp penalty uh, that could have taken Lever that precious point. Instead, it's now six consecutive defeats in the league, not looking good at all for Claude Puel's side. Um, Eric, we'll start with you. Um, could you have told which was the team in form based on the first 45 minutes? Or I suppose my question is, could you have told... Could you have told who was the team out of form based on the first 45 minutes? I, I do think that Leon had the better of the first half. Um, but I, I think much as we saw against Lille, that there were still some, there's still some disconnect uh, going forward. And I, I think that, um, but you know, if, I mean, that's uh, the second goal for Dembe, the second goal, quote unquote, in air quotes here, the second goal for Dembele, you know, Offside by the narrowest of margins, that goes in. Um, Sante's heads drop. The complexion of the match has totally changed. So, you know, I don't think that I still think that they're working things out attacking wise. 
Um, and I, I want to see more from them on that end consistently before I can, before I can start to ha have, you know, a little bit more faith in them. Um, but yeah, I think that Sente showed good fight back given their absences and, and given the, you know, how much churn they've had in terms of players coming and going this, this season. So, you know, credit, credit them for, you know, having a good chance to, to, to win the match, um, and to get sort of this monkey of, or albatross off their back or whatever the metaphor, uh, stalking horse, I don't know what you want to use for Claude Puel. Um, yeah, so I, I just, I feel like it was a, a tough result, uh, that since they were hard done by, um, but that, uh, you know, the result's probably fair in the end. Um, you know, you know the, the, the quality that Leon have, I think, exceeds that of, of Sente. They just don't have the individual performers, and that's what it came down to. It came down to that sort of little trick play there for, for Kataweri's first, and a, and a brilliant, oh, I mean, the finish for Kataweri on his second, uh, holding off so two good. defenders and, sl and slotting in from that tight angle, you know, I, th I think he's a player who's really starting to come into his own and and looks looks to have made the le le the rarely done leap from league de as an attacker to be successful in, in league a. So, um, you know, hopefully it continues uh, for Legon. Um, and you know, again, they don't have European football. Uh, they'll have Marcelo back from suspension. Uh, you know, there there are probably going to be some. Maybe perhaps we need some internal problems with the team in terms of, you know, people getting happy about people being happy about playing time. Uh, you know, Kataweri was quoted after the match as saying, "Oh, he's he was told he was going to be on the bench. Dembele would start." Uh, he said, "That's okay. I kept focused and I knew I was ready to play." Now, again, this is sort of lip service we expect from players as as, as regards to you know speaking to the press or speaking to the club's internal communications channel. As this this was the case, but I think by and large. Um, you know, without the Coupe de la Ligue, uh, with the Coupe de France not starting until Janu January or maybe, I don't know how they're handling those matches that are postponed, maybe even later than that. Um, uh, a balance of playing time is, uh, it could be a, a, a frustrating situation if, uh, you know, if there aren't departures in January. Mo, is, uh, is, who do we have to thank more for that result? This is kind of a provocative question, I guess, but who do we, who can we thank more for that, for that win for Leon? Uh, Cadoere with the double as, as Eric pointed out. And, you know, as that second goal in particular was, was, uh, was really, really quite something. Um, yeah. Cadoere or Garcia for making that triple change uh, to bring on Mendes, Paqueta and Cadoere in the second half, taking off Awar, Guimaraes and Dembele. I might have to uh, side on the on the base of the attacker there, who who was on was on Telford uh, early on in the day. He said, "I will score two in the derby," um, and did he? You know, he did just that, um, showing some great skill. I think, like you, we've all mentioned in the second goal, in particular, um, looking looking really really good. Um, but yeah, I think credit must go to Rudy Garcia. I think he, he we've seen another instance of him making another bold change into a, a tight game, some of which has has worked, as we saw in the Champions League, some of which has worked less so um, both in Liga for, for Lyon and in Marseille, as we saw over the last couple of seasons. Um, and taking off Dembele, who, who's, who's you know been a sub um, and was given a, a rare start in this fixture, um, was intriguing to say the least, but Cadawere, you know, has been a superb impact player. He's deserved his starts. 
you know, the Rudy Garcia substitutions did effectively change the game, brought more attacking impetus, and he was rewarded. Um, you know, that's that's all you can want as a manager. That's all you can hope for when things are not going your your way as a supporter as well. Um, so I think we we do have to give credit for to both for sure. You know, credit where credit's due. Uh, but Cadwell in particular, you know, had that conviction for me and 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 came up came up trumps in what was a a really good second half. And I think you know I, I, a lot of people maybe you know people that are not really diehard were a bit bemused by his signing, but not not so much his signing, but you know the 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 chatter you know where he was going to fit into what role would he play particularly if Dembele did leave the club over the summer but you know he's looking more and more assured i think over the last couple of weeks um so yeah this is another another good game for him yeah it was a uh, really was a great a great um a great performance from Cadawere and you know I think for a lot of a lot of neutrals as you kind of pointed out there people kind of maybe scratching their heads a little bit over kind of a, a league de striker moving um to one of France's biggest uh, clubs uh you know whether the people were scratching their heads perhaps not kind of knowing the ins and outs not not um having seen him play in Ligue 2 and obviously taking into account how prolific he was for Le Havre um um, and you know, I, I think it's clear that he he needs to be starting over Moussa Dembélé. You know, which you wouldn't necessarily you wouldn't have ever expected that kind of twelve months ago, even perhaps during the Champions League run. But I guess you know, uh, he's this is he's obviously a striker who's out of form and things aren't exactly rosy behind the scenes. So so yeah, I think it's a it's a great uh, time uh, for Tino Cadawere, and you know, expect to see more big things from him personally. Um, Phil, I'd like to come to you now. Um, looking at Saint-Étienne, will this result and performance, or sorry, result, not result, will this performance, I should say, give Saint-Étienne hope going forward? Because they could easily have left Lyon with a point um, had they, or had Denny Buanga converted that penalty, or do you think that's likely to be, you know, the nail in the coffin in terms of this terrible run that they're on and likely to kind of confound things and make things even worse for them? Well, neither. I think that uh, Saint-Étienne, we were all very surprised at how good Saint-Étienne were. Uh, in fact, before the game, you thought that it was either going to be uh, that uh, one of those uh, Nabil Fekir moments when he puts the, puts the, that, uh, the ingrained image you have in, in your head, Jake, <laughs> uh, where you put the Lyon shirt in front of the, of the, the Chauffeur, in front of the Green Angels, I think it is, the Chauffeur stand, or it would have been a very resolute Claude who knows how to organise his defence, who knows how to organise his side, uh, to push for a nil-nil draw, which uh, we all thought he was going to do, because at first it, it looked like what Saint-Étienne was doing. It was a very compact, very strict, very organised 4-4-2, with, uh, with Oshish playing, uh, being very uh, active down, down the left. And then you had, after, after a couple of minutes, you saw that Saint-Étienne went forward, went more, more forward and more forward and more forward. And you sort of, hold on a minute, those, uh, those are the guys who, who, uh, who are more at ease with the, with the occasion. All the pundits in, in French football at halftime said, Saint-Étienne are playing a derby, Lyon are playing the derby, so uh, with what, what it means. Lyon are playing a game against a team that, is, uh, that, is currently, that was currently 13th in, in the table. There was a big difference in, in the intensity and how, how they how they approach the game. Lyon, Lyon's tactics notwithstanding, because I don't really get what uh, Garcia was trying to do in the first half. You had you had uh, Touquet Combi on one side, Dembele up front and Depay just behind him as an électron libre, shall we say, à la Ben Arfa. But 
I mean, I, it just didn't make any sense to me. And as soon as, but as soon as Lyon changed change the formation, they put a rear winger on the left, a rear winger on the right. Uh, Dupai, uh, you know, as uh, as he as he likes to move forward, as he does, uh, then things went uh, were were better. But uh, you know, Lyon can take so uh, Saint-Étienne can take so much from that from that performance because they were resolute, they were organised, they were uh, defensive. The defending was uh, was pretty good. Moulin to blame on the second goal. I mean, he did anticipate the cross, uh, maybe a bit too much. Um, but uh, they, I mean, honestly, they, the a fairer scoreline to me would have been would have been two-two. Uh, of course, Boanga didn't score the penalty. To me, I'd probably like to get everybody's opinion whether it's a penalty or not. To me, it's very close, fifty-fifty. I probably wouldn't have uh, waived it, even though uh, Jean-Luc has armors nowhere to be uh, above his head like that. But uh, the problem with Saint-Étienne is that they're not going to have a lot of uh, games where they can play that way, where they can play a strict 4-4-2. I mean, they've got um, all these, uh, shall, shall we say, uh, little sides to, to compete with. Uh, next game in two weeks, because we've got this uh, great international break. Next game will be uh, at Brest. It's the next home game against Lille. So good luck with that, even though they did lose against Brest. Uh, then away game at Dijon. I mean, that's a must-win. Uh, the away game at Dijon on on uh, beginning of December. So they can take lots of positives, but they need they need points now, and that's going to be the big pressure because losing losing. I mean, they didn't have really the pressure because everybody was expecting them to lose here yeah, last night. Um, but uh, at Brest or at Dijon, people will want some points, and if they don't get it, then yeah. Uh, since could uh, could get nasty, but you know, with that with that type of attitude, I, you know, it's uh, I think it's the first time this season we've seen Saint-Étienne, along with the Marseille game. Maybe Mo, Mo could confirm we've seen Saint-Étienne being so uh, positive in in the team spirit, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely agree. Uh, just just like Wayne Fields' point. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, things are looking pretty dire for Les Verts and you have to say that, you know, things probably won't get any easier anytime soon. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I, you know, I, as a neutral, I would like to see them end this, end this run. It seems, it seems so, such a shame to see such a, such a big club doing so poorly at the moment. Um, and I thought it was... I'm pretty sure they will. I mean, I don't see them losing at Brest or, you know, if, if they play like that, I just don't see them, uh, like, losing 10 in a row. I just don't think they, they'll probably lose against Lille, but, you know, against a smaller size, I think they'll, they'll get the job done. But they just have to stop. They just need a, a win. And after such a long, long run of defeats, it seems, you know, there's a lot of pressure, especially for such a big club. I mean, it is, it is one of the biggest clubs in the country with the most fans. Well, you know... But can, can we? The other thing I, I should mention here, I feel like, is aside from those first four matches of the season, mm. if we if we extrapolate Sante's form under Quad Puel, you know they could have gone down last season. I think they were within two or three points of of 18th uh, when the season was stopped. They were they were certainly in 17th, and it was close. Uh, you know, and now. We move on from those first four matches of, of the season, and they've lost six in a row. I, I don't know. I, I feel like if we c- combine the form where they were last season with the departures they had this summer, 
Salabel returning on loan, uh, Fofana departing, um, you know, uh, Jan Mbila departing, uh, Matthew Debussy is not really played due, owing to injury. Um, you know, Gabriel Silva, who might be the first choice left back if he's fit, uh, hasn't really played either. Um, it, you, you know, you've had the Rufier situation. This shouldn't come as a surprise. The club's hierarchy are, are frankly botching, um, are botching things. I mean, it, if they survive, and I do think they will, it will be, Philip, as you mentioned, by dint of there being much poorer teams. Um, you know, I think Strasbourg, you know, are probably one of those. Dijon certainly are. Um, but looking at the bottom of the table, I, I mean, I, could Neem are in trouble too. I think their current bottom three are definitely in trouble. Um, yeah, but you know, are 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 Sente so appreciably better than any of the teams around them of of Nantes, Lorient, Reims, Brest? I don't think so. No. Exactly, and you know, with someone as experienced as Claude Puel at the helm, and yeah, I know uh, I completely agree about their form and that they are, you know, kind of where 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 they are on merit i suppose in terms of how poor they've been since puel arrived you know they are you've got to think that they um they this is a side that if they do manage to get a win as you as as you guys have pointed out then they they will be able to kind of get their confidence back and and turn this run uh, around um because especially considering that run they did go on at the start of the season you know what's to say that they can't do that again they have players who are capable of 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 getting them over the line where perhaps other teams that you guys have mentioned, like a Dijon, for example, do not. So certainly it's going to be a very difficult season for them. Um, but I would uh, similarly expect them to break out of this uh, losing streak at some point. Um, well, the other thing, Jake, is I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that that run was done with Wesley Fofana still in the team. I don't know that they've that they they've anticipated that just how badly the bottom would fall out. Uh, Perron retiring too. I know he's was past it, but you know I think his presence in the locker room was important too. I, I don't know. I, I think if I'm thinking about this that we're starting to see signs signs of life from the likes of Ras. Uh, you know, Lorient are you know hit and miss, but certainly can be potent going forward. Maybe if Strasbourg start to get things together around uh, Habib Diallo, this. This could be a very, very long season for Saint-Étienne. Just looking back at the squads at uh, the end of last season, which was in March, of course, uh, and Fofana did play, did start those games. Uh, the uh, the 2-0 loss at Lyon, no. that was a consummate game. No, no, and, uh, no, Philip, I mean the, the unbeaten run to start the season. Fofana was still with the team. He didn't move to oh, Leicester. Sorry. He didn't oh, move sorry. to Leicester until October. Yeah, and you're absolutely right there, Eric. They've not won without him this season. So, you know, and we've seen how good he's been for Leicester so far. So, you know, maybe he is kind of a missing ingredient to helping them break out of this out of this um, rut that they're in at the moment. Um, I want to move on now for time's sake to take a look at uh, Les Bleus, um, who obviously have three games coming over the next two weeks. Um, the first of those is a friendly match against Finland at the Stade de France. Um Recently, we've had this change where Usama Oaz withdrawn from the squad through injury. He himself was meant to be a replacement for Nabil Fekir. So they are, um, uh, I guess, in a sense, depleted of a player. I don't quite understand why they've not replaced them, but there you go. Um, I'll come to you for this, Mo. Do you, do you feel that this is a really good opportunity for, for Deschamps to kind of 
uh, tread the water to, 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 to mix, test the waters, I should say, to mix things up and give debuts to some guys like Marcus Turam, who's obviously been doing so well for Gladbach in the Bundesliga. And we mentioned Ruben Aguilar, who has been consistent for a number of years, but now has his first call up. Is this, is this the perfect game to experiment and to test out some of these, some of these players? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think we've also seen recently um, with, you know, more more minutes for Pamacano, for Mendy, for, for Camavinga in particular, um, Awa, Ikone. They're just a couple of players who've, who've who, you know, who started to sort of come under the wing of the national team in the last couple of games. I think um, the squad, as it's, you know, as it is, there are not really that many um, new players to really give, apart from Marcus Turam, as you said, and I think the Finland game. It's a perfect opportunity, but knowing Deschamps, he's going to field his sort of, you know, strongest side possible just to give them a run out for the tougher <laughs> Nations League games and then give give Tura maybe the last 15, 20 minutes in the second half where the match is already won by a score of three three goals or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, what I'd like to see in particular, I mean, you know, the Euros are not that far away in, in, in normal years. So, you know, we'll be looking to the November international break as the penultimate chance for players to sort of start staking their claims. And so we must not discount that, you know, France still do have a difficult Euro group. We need to turn one eye towards that tournament, um, which is only about roughly six months away, six, yeah, six, seven months away. Um, so you'll be looking at the likes of Kurt Zuma, who, who still needs to sort of claim a strangle. He's been very good in the Premier League so far this season, but, you know, how how far behind is he the likes of Varane? Uh, Kimpembe Longley as well. Um, Leo Dubois is obviously now a, a sort of a mainstay in the team, but uh, no, by no means the first choice right back. So I'm a bit puzzled by the, the call of Aguilar. I mean, Aguilar, it would be good to see him. Like like Eric said, he's been, uh, you know, fantastic in the gun for a while now, even though, even though, my said, you know, the Deschamps did hint at calling up Bunassar, um instead, although Bayern Munich refused... Uh, um, on medical grounds uh, for him to join the national team, hence Aguilar's call-up. So you never know. I mean, it'll be a good opportunity for him, though I can't really see, you know, if that is true and Saar is ahead of him in the pecking order, how that would change. Um, in midfield, I mean, you know, they've all been very, very strong performers. Um, but, you know, it would be nice to see Tolisso uh, more often. I think he's been relatively good for the, for the national team. Um, Rabiot has been frozen for a while. Um, there, there, are, there are lots of combinations to try out. I just personally would have liked to have seen more, especially now in this COVID era where teams are reluctant to send players abroad. You know, maybe this could have been an opportunity to see more domestic place players um, in the France national team, particularly given that now the international breakfast of three games, you can call up 26, 27 players. Um, I personally would have liked to have seen more, more, um, more versatility and variety in the national squad. But, you know, they have looked good. They're on a decent run of form. Um, it'll be good to see Marcus Turam because I think he deserves it for the season he's had so far. Certainly. And you've got to think there'll be fewer few teams, um, you know, looking at playing uh, a side on, on the kind of level of Finland at home. No disrespect to Finland. But this this is, is this not the perfect kind of potential confidence booster for some of these um some of these guys? You mentioned Kurt Zuma there, who's obviously not been consistently in the France fold. Um um, Aguilar again, and going back to Marcus Turam. Um, th- th- this is this is this is the perfect game, you no? Know, to 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 get some um, get some minutes, get some confidence for these guys, and we hope 
that Deschamps wouldn't use this as an opportunity just to kind of build towards the match against Portugal. Surely it's better to to experiment and kind of really, really change things up. Yeah, no, I, I think he does have to take some risks. I, I get okay. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm back and forth on this. I I did uh, sort of. I chastise him, I suppose, over over his use of Graysman in, in in the last two sets of friendlies. Um, he, trying to play this three four one two with Graysman playing off of a a strike partnership of I guess it was uh, Giroud and um, uh, Marshall. Um, and you know what's the efficacy of that? Um, and I I do still have reservations about playing around with things so much tactically, but. I do think there's something to be said for bringing players. You know, I, Mo, you mentioned Leo Dubois. I mean, he's not been up to his level of of, of years past. Um, you know, I I do believe he ha- he ha- uh, was out with COVID uh, earlier in the season. I think he was sent home from the last set of matches or even the September ones. And I, I do wonder what effect that's had on his play in terms of his his fitness, given how much he's asked to do for Leon. Um, but I think certainly. You know, is is there a case to be made that the understudy to pop art, if that's how you want to look at things, is is you know is is that's in play? I think it is. Um, yeah. I think that's that, that's a that's a sort of call that makes sense. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, that especially with this friendly, yeah, I mean, start the Ram, start start Zuma, start Aguilar. I, you know, there's this isn't going to hurt your. UEFA rating or your ELO rating or whatever it is, um, make a point to see, again, Finland are certainly second-tier opposition, but make it a point to let some of these players, you know, experience what playing with a France shirt on is like. Exactly, exactly. I, I think it would be a wasted opportunity not to do that in this game. Um, obviously, international matches are coming thick and th- and fast, but what better opportunity than, uh, as you say, a side like Finland at home? And then, of course, they do have a competitive match. Competitive, I guess, um, technically, perhaps those uh, kind of Nations League sceptics might disagree. But technically, yes, a competitive match against Portugal um, in Portugal on Saturday evening. Both sides are on 10 points in their group. Uh, so three wins and a draw apiece. Um, this is a strong Portugal squad, taking a look at it. I mean, you have, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's not in every Portugal squad uh, these days, as he kind of tends to uh, dip in and out to manage his, uh, I guess, his fitness levels. And he's going to be hungry for for goals as he seeks to chase down that kind of all-time international men's top scorer record. Um Mo, how do you see that game um, playing out? I mean, it's 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 going to be a difficult game for for France, no? Yeah, I mean, in particular, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's a competitive game. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. This might be a very serious question to ask. I believe they are in the same Euro group, aren't they? So mm-hmm. that's going to be um, along with Germany. Yeah, interesting. yeah. Not, I mean, it's been it's such a it's been a long, long time <laughs> since, yeah. since obviously those. Those games. I mean, France looked a bit dour in that nil-nil game in the Nations League. Um, so, I mean, as you mentioned, Portugal have looked, you know, really, really good, up and coming. A lot of really interesting players who are now, um, you know, entering sort of a high, high level. So, Bernardo Silva, we're all aware of. But Charles Felix has kicked on Atletico. Uh, Diogo Jota 
um, in particular in England, Liverpool has, has been really good. And I think he'll be getting far more game time in this international break. So, uh, as, as you said, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo sort of winds down a little bit. Um, it'll be it'll be good to see how France approach that game. Um, you know, away from home in the competitive environment, it, it will bode very strong um, in particular. I mean, they've looked very good, um, you know, in, in, in Croatia and Sweden, which are always tough uh, tough games on the road. They've 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 looked solid. They've approached the games very very well. And I think beating European champions um, and the Nations League champions, I mean, um, is is fantastic practice, showing that you know on their day they can match any of the eleven. There there's still um, a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of consistency that needs to be achieved. In particular, as you said, Eric, there's some positions that are still in play. You know, how far is Deschamps? Um, confident of his 11 starting 11 in, in in the euros so i think this game comes at a fantastic time for them there's obviously the double um achievement of securing that top spot in the nation's league group and then going to the final four maybe the possibility of another european uh, sorry another international tournament uh victory so yeah there's there's so much at play i think there's a lot of positivity that can be gleaned from that and i think they've got the team to do it and i think um you know it's just about managing the squad, managing the best players each position, and giving adequate game time, adequate opportunities for a you know large part of the squad to really show themselves. Um, so that's what it should be. I just you know I don't want the same eleven to be starting over and over again um, because it is a process, it's a cycle, and the next cycle, even though it's been extended by one year, is coming to an end. Um, so we need to get the next sort of crop ready, the next eleven, and have them not you know, sitting on five to ten caps, we need them at least relatively consistent in game time. Yeah, and I think a, a win here, as you kind of pointed out, would be would be not only obviously takes them top of the group and in theory takes them through to the, the finals, um, I guess, depending on results, final results, but you would expect that too. Um, you know, I think that would probably silence a lot of the kind of neutral doubters, perhaps, who have kind of taken a look at some of France's results in the interim, um, kind of since that World Cup uh, victory, especially in the Nations League, um, and kind of had their questions um, or, yeah, raised questions over over kind of whether they are, this is a side that's capable of the the dominance and the international dynasty that perhaps the level of players that they have at their disposal um, deserves or merits. Um, I'm also personally excited, as you pointed out, I think, Mo, seeing um, Joao Felix play against France, you know, it's almost going to be a battle of um, the ghost of Atletico's past versus the ghost of Atletico's present in terms of Griezmann and Joao Felix battling it out on yes, the uh, attacking talents on the on the pitch. So a very exciting um, clash uh, there, which we'll look forward to talking about uh, next week afterwards. Um, I think that'll be it from us there. Um, thank you very much for joining me tonight, guys. As always, make sure you're following us at GFFN on Twitter for all the latest news from around the world of French football. And please do check out our website, Get Football News France, for all opinions, uh, exclusive interviews, um, articles, you name it, everything. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Eric Devin, Mohamed Ali, and Philippe Bargiel. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week.